Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking the MLS regular season coming to a close, and then obviously moving on to the MLS playoffs, uh, Champions League, and over there in Europe, the league wrap-up. We'll be talking about the U.S. men's national team roster that came out, and obviously the upcoming games that the U.S. men's national team have uh, here in Europe over this next week, Netflix docs, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, November 9th in the year that is 2020? I am doing well. Now, Alexi, the last couple of weeks, I've used my allotted time in this opening segment to talk about Michigan football. I do have some television stuff I want to get in today, but I also don't want to be accused of ducking the subject. So can I sneak in a quick Michigan rant before we pivot to other things? Absolutely. I mean, I I am waiting with bated breath to hear what you have to say about your, your Wolverines and just the complete fiasco that is that team right now. This is the low point since I started following Michigan football, at least when we had uh, Rich Rodriguez or Brady Hoke, you could attribute the struggles to having a terrible coach. And you could convince yourself that if you ever brought in somebody like Jim Harbaugh, he would turn things around. And now we have Jim Harbaugh and this is where we are. And Jim Harbaugh uh, in his first five seasons, despite falling well short of expectations, could at least hang his hat on the fact that he had made things significantly better than his predecessors. Anytime you suggested getting rid of Jim Harbaugh, somebody would invariably bring up, do you remember how bad things were under Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hill? Do you want to go back to that? Well, we're there now. This feels like a Rich Rodriguez season. We're headed for three and six, the kind of season you didn't think was possible with Jim Harbaugh. You thought at the very least he guaranteed a basic level of respectability, and he can't even do that anymore. So rant well, over. Give, give me a coach out there that's the the soccer equivalent of Jim Harbaugh. Who uh, uh, who's the guy that coached Tottenham and then went over to Russia? The Portuguese guy. Oh, Andre Villas Boas. <laughs> is, is, is that is, is that a fair comparison or 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 what? Give me somebody out there that uh, that you would say. I mean, it, it, is he a good coach? 
or is he just not a good coach for Michigan right now? Yeah, I mean, the resume says yes, but uh, the past five years and change are the first time I've ever followed a Jim Harbaugh team closely enough, like every game, every play, uh, the clock management, the use of timeouts, when to go for two, the play calling and all the rest. And I'm like scratching my head at how he's had success at, in these other places because uh, it really has not been the experience I thought it would be having Jim Harbaugh as my head coach. So, so the emperor has no clothes is what you're saying. Correct. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, if there are uh, apt comparisons or parallels out there in the soccer world, please uh, send us through. Who, who is your Jim Harbaugh in soccer out there? Uh, have you watched anything interesting? I, I have, and I'll get your, uh, what you have watched here a second or listened to if there is anything out there. I am in the midst of Who Killed Maria Marta? Uh, this is on Netflix. It's a four-part documentary, four episodes, I think an hour each. And it's about uh, the murder in 2002 of a uh, Argentinian socialite. And it is subtitled. And here's the problem I have with, with subtitles. Um, and it's a practical one. I, I mean, I have, I, have, I have no problem reading them <laughs> for the most part. But the problem is, is that when I'm watching things, I oftentimes am also doing crosswords. And obviously, you have to look at the screen to understand what's going on when there are uh, when there when there are um, subtitles, and so that that's the problem that I have. Having said that, uh, this is it's slow, but it's getting more interesting right now, and so I, I'm giving it I'm giving it a recommendation here. Uh, but I still have a long way to go. The other thing that I watched this week, and this is much more of a retro thing, is I watched Saint Elmo's Fire. You ever seen this movie, Mossy? I have not actually. Okay, so this is a typical and, and very popular '80s movie. It it uh, in a wonderful way illustrates what the '80s was, um, both the good and the bad, to be quite honest. And actually, a whole lot more of the bad when it comes. It doesn't necessarily hold up. It's a Brat Pat type of movie. I watched the whole thing just because for nostalgia purposes, and and I'm still going to watch it. But I don't think it holds up. I would not give this a recommendation. It's not one of those that 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 I think you can show people that didn't go through that and didn't live in that time that they will have any appreciation for it. And it will, it has not, it has not aged well, shall we say. So those are a couple of things that I have. Did you uh, see or hear or watch anything? Uh, yes. Have you, uh, are you familiar with this Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit? I have seen it advertised and I have, but I have not, uh, I have not looked into it yet. Uh, it's been showered with praise. It has uh, 100% yes. Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm here to tell you the hype is real. Uh, really? I loved it. I, I plowed through all seven episodes in a couple of days. I thought it was a masterpiece. Cannot recommend it enough. It's, is, it, uh, is it over and done? I mean, it's, it's over it's, and done. Okay. So it's, I don't have to worry about next season. I don't have to worry about correct. You know, giving it's, uh, my time to the man or anything like that. Correct. It's okay. set uh, in the Cold War era. It's about this uh, girl, Elizabeth Harmon, who has a tragic childhood and ends up in an orphanage and discovers that she's a chess prodigy. And as she gets older, she becomes this world-famous chess player who travels around the globe and plays in tournaments against Russian masters, but still battling demons from her childhood and addictions and such. And it is so unbelievably compelling. I loved it. I cannot wow. recommend it enough. That Absolutely is a loved two it. thumbs up, one of the 100% best shows rating. That is, that is uh, a ringing endorsement. I'm also watching this HBO show, The Undoing, with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. Um, I don't love it, but it's uh, compelling enough. Uh, the third episode aired last night, um, so recommend that as well. Next weekend, The Crown comes back, season four. We're up to the 80s with Margaret Thatcher and Princess Di and all that, so looking forward to season four there, one of my favorite shows. 
Uh, but some bad news on the television front. Uh, David Fincher gave an interview recently in which he said there most likely will be no more seasons of Mindhunter, which oh. is a Netflix show that's- Oh, don't, don't I know it. Shows the last few years. You're aware of it. Yeah, I got our boss, Zach Kenworthy, into it too. He's devastated by this news. There have been two seasons of it, and it looks like that'll be it. It's based on a true story about this FBI unit that in the late 70s started conducting psychological studies on serial killers. Uh, absolutely outstanding show. Very sad to see it end, but it appears that uh, there will be no more seasons of it. That was one of the the first shows that I broke my cardinal rule and watched it with the knowledge that there potentially were going to be future episodes uh, and seasons. But you're telling me that the director has said that's it uh, because they did leave it kind of open at the end there. So, okay, well, I mean, that's too bad because I really did enjoy it and, and it was really, really good. So, all right, but at least... Now I actually didn't break my cardinal rule in that it's done. <laughs> so, all right, Mossy, enough about our, our, our viewing habits. Uh, you ready to light this candle? Yep. All right, let's start right off with uh, MLS and Decision Day. As I, as I mentioned, we're recording here on Monday, and yesterday was yet another Decision Day for Major League Soccer. A Decision Day, to be fair, unlike any that we have ever had in the previous 24 years. I love Decision Day. I love uh, the excitement, the drama, the musical chairs that goes on. And there was plenty of that. When it comes to the, uh, the Eastern Conference, there were actual playoff spots that were up for grabs and they came down and we were going back and forth and a goal was scored here or a win or a tie and the, and the, uh, uh, the point totals and the points per game totals were going up and down. In the Western Conference, the places had been decided, but where and who they were facing was yet to be decided. And Mossy, just a, a tip of the hat to you, my friend, for all of the help that you gave all of us uh, in trying to navigate through all of all of the permutations uh, out there when it comes to what was going on. It was fun. And, and as I said, we, we, I was on the set with Marisa Du and Rob Stone, uh, and then we had John Strong and Stuart Holden doing the actual game that we were doing on Fox, uh, which, uh, which was LAFC um, uh, Portland. And as the goals were coming in and the scores were coming in, Mossy uh, and the crew behind the scenes were doing a wonderful job in uh, making sure we understood what was what was going on. It made it that much more interesting. And the, the whole theater of it uh, and the excitement and the, the, the twists and turns through the day uh, to the day were wonderful. Uh, give, give, a, give the folks a little peek behind the curtain uh, on Decision Day, Mossy, and what uh, you and everybody in the control room uh, were doing through the day. No, yeah, I had uh, I had the uh, live standings up the whole time. I also had put together a little cheat sheet for myself uh, going into the day of each team in the West, uh, what their points per game would be if they won, drew, or lost their game. So in case the live standings crapped out or something, I could fall back on that. And, okay, this team's winning. That means they're up to this, and that team's losing, so they leapfrog them. And so uh, between those two things, I was okay. So, uh, yeah, it could have gotten very hairy there, but um, I, I think we, we were pretty much on top of things. Yeah, I don't know if you want to get into it, but there, there yeah, was let's one, get, let, let's get one thing it. in particular that I, I thought was absolutely fascinating about this day, and this is where LAFC were going to end up. They could not have gotten a home game. Some people had that wrong going into the day. The fact that Minnesota and Dallas played each other meant that even if LAFC won their game, any result in the Minnesota-Dallas game would have uh, at least one of those two teams ahead of LAFC. So LAFC were never going to get a home game out of this deal, but there was a question where they're going to finish fifth, sixth, seventh. And so they get the early goal from Vela, uh, and so for a lot of the day, they were in fifth and you thought, okay, so they're going to be going to Minnesota. Then Portland get that equalizer, Villafania. And so at one point you think, okay, LAFC dropped down to six. So they're going to go to Portland in the first round. And then lo and behold, Colorado get a late winner against Houston. They leapfrog LAFC. LAFC end up dropping all the way down to seventh 
which to me is one of the big stories of the day. And they are now going to Seattle in the first round for a rematch of last season's Western Conference final. What a game that is, huh? It's it, it is it's nuts. Uh, it's nuts. And like you said, it was constantly changing. And I don't know if uh, you wonderful listeners and viewers out there saw the uh, the passive aggressive Mossy come out there right at the beginning where he was where he just he just threw in there. If you if you if you blinked or turned, you would have missed it where he said that people were missing a very important fact <laughs> there. It drives uh, Mossy and his ilk crazy when something like that happens. But they do pump out their chest as they should because Mossy had it right and he knew what was going uh, what was going on <laughs> even though others others didn't but it, guys you guys did a, a wonderful job for us okay so first before we get into the actual uh, games for uh, for uh, MLS playoffs here a, a couple uh, notes without a doubt i think the biggest failure failures for for the 2020 season are uh, Los Angeles Galaxy and uh, Atlanta i mean these are two super clubs that couldn't find a way through, albeit some strange circumstances and unprecedented circumstances to figure out a way to be successful. And that's, that's not acceptable in any way, shape or form from these two, uh, from these two super clubs. And so I'll be interested to see what they look like in 2021. Big winner. And, and it has to be said is, is the Philadelphia Union. Congratulations, by the way, to the Philadelphia Union, Union on winning the 2020 Supporters Shield. With the unprecedented circumstances that, that exist in 2020, uh, I think that this is forever going to be a unique and a special and in many ways, a memorable award. And yes, for those of you out there asking, yes, it will have an asterisk. But the Philadelphia Union and the Philadelphia Union faithful won't, nor should they care because a trophy is a trophy. And in a certain way, they should own that asterisk. And I mean, if they could put it on their jersey, I know you don't do it for supporters, Shield, but if they could, that's I would love to see that because it is it is special. And the argument can be made that because of the fact that for many people, they believe that the obstacles and challenges that the Philadelphia Union went through, as did all the teams in 2020, makes it that much more special and actually an even greater accomplishment than the other 24 supporters, uh, supporters shield. And in that case, if you're making that case, which is a fair case to make, that asterisk can, in it can indicate how uniquely difficult it was relative to all the other supporters shields uh, that, have been, that have been won. But let's be honest, it is apples and oranges when you compare the other 24 years to, to this year. And that's why I say that that asterisk is going to be there. But it's not to take anything away from what Philadelphia has done. It's just the reality of the situation in terms of the year that they, uh, that they did it. But we also know that even in normal times, winning the Supporters' Shield does not in any way guarantee you success in the playoffs. The playoffs are coming and they're, they're upon us. Winter is coming, and this is a whole different ballgame. And those teams, and there's only seven of them, that are able to parlay their success in the regular season into success in the postseason, those are the truly great teams. Philadelphia, I think, has a chance, but I wouldn't – I'd put your money on it, Mossy, but I wouldn't put my money on it uh, right now. Uh, any, anything about uh, Philadelphia or things that stood out to you? Yeah, I don't want to belabor this point. Uh, we've talked about it the last couple weeks, but I am fascinated by this dynamic between the Supporter Shield and MLS Cup. And, and what I see now is essentially those two trophies competing with each other for importance. 
And so I want to read you a quote, uh, a tweet from Matt Doyle, who is certainly one of the most respected MLS voices in this country. Uh, He tweeted right after yesterday's games, the supporter shield is the best, best domestic trophy to win. It means you gave your fans months and months of great winning soccer. It's the best representation of who the best team in the league actually is. Congrats to the union deserved winners. Okay, but nobody remembers it. They only remember who wins MLS Cup. That's the one where you actually do put a star on your jersey. That's the ultimate money shot. And while I agree with what he's saying in that over a length of time, you have proven to be the best team, that's not the, that's not what MLS ultimately is. So I, 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 look, I, get, I get what he's saying. And, and to your point, we don't want to belabor this. But, but, but it doesn't mean that the praise shouldn't be given to teams that are successful in the regular season, like Philadelphia. And congratulations and praise to uh, Jim Curtin. I think that there's a lot of us out there that are that are extra happy for someone uh, like Jim Curtin for you know where he's come from as a player um, and what he has done as a coach. And by the way, done it for while a big market acting like a small market team. And to have that proof of concept come out in such a such a great way, I'm really happy uh, uh, happy for him. But the the fanfare and the confetti and that moment of holding up the shield, which by the way wasn't the shield because the shield didn't arrive uh, in Philadelphia. So they actually, it's a whole story. You should go check it out. It's a wonderful. It's so MLS. It's so soccer. It's so supporters uh, in what happened with the shield. But that money shot of them holding it up, while that will be part of their history and as as their first trophy that they have won in 2020. The real one is going, and the real confetti is going to be MLS Cup, which is going to come 33 days, I guess, from now if we're uh, if we're counting. All right, how do we? Get, oh, yeah, I got something to say, Mossy. I see, yeah, one, I see the wheel one, spinning. One underrated development in the East: uh, Orlando going into the day, the day had clinched a playoff berth, had clinched a home game, but they lost at home to Nashville and were leapfrogged by Columbus, who beat Atlanta. So Columbus moved up to third. Orlando dropped from third to fourth. And that means they will now play NYCFC in the first round rather than the Red Bulls. And with all due respect to the Red Bulls, I think there's a significant difference there. Uh, so that was not a great development for Orlando. They would, would have much rather had stayed in third. You agree that uh, now they have to go play NYCFC, which uh, finished the, re- the regular season red hot. So that, that is a very tough first round game for them. Yeah. And, and to my point that MLS Cup is ultimately what matters the most. These games yesterday, they mattered. And I know, you know someone had already, some teams had already locked up playoff position, but, and I also know that in 2020, we don't know the ultimate impact and importance of home field advantage, but that opponent that you play, what you did yesterday could ultimately come down to whether in 33 days you are holding MLS Cup or you're not, because either the opponent that you're playing, the travel that you had, the uh, the the play-in game that you were in or not in, all of those different things matter. And so, so to your point, whether it's you know whether it's the the LAFC moving up and down or Orlando having to play NYCFC as opposed to somebody else, this this matters. And when all is said and done in 33 days, we might look back and say, had Orlando figured out a way to get points in that final game uh, and and get it done that trajectory and that pathway, which is important, would have been completely uh, completely different. The play-in games, uh, by the way, and speaking of praise, congratulations to uh, Nashville and Miami, both expansion teams that are actually going to face each other in the play-in round uh, on November 20th, but they both make the uh, the playoffs and 
uh, I guess in your first year, making the playoffs is uh, a sign of accomplishment, depending on depending on who you are. But certainly that's the first order of business if you are an expansion team. We've seen plenty of expansion teams that haven't uh, that haven't done that. And so congratulations uh, to them. What matchups stand out to you other than the Orlando NYCFC one? Uh, in the East, we're talking? It, it can go anywhere. I mean... Well, we should uh, announce our uh, our first playoff game is one of the two playing games, uh, New England uh, Montreal, which is a fascinating coaching matchup, Bruce Arena against Thierry Henry, and yeah, I mean, two uh, really big names uh, involved in MLS this season have been Thierry Henry as a coach and David Beckham as an owner, uh, both a little wobbly there for a while, but they end up getting in. Do you think in both cases, and we can. Uh, veer more towards Henri here as we look ahead to our game. Do you think this validates this season as a success uh, just to make the playoffs? Or do you, you think they need to do something in the playoffs or, or, or just getting in the play-in game in this expanded playoff to you is not enough to, to qualify the well, season? Well, I mean, it was, interesting be- yeah, it was interesting because you know, last night on the broadcast, we, we put up uh, you know, a, a tweet. I think it was from Miami, from Inter-Miami, kind of congratulating themselves and saying, against all odds, they, they come through. <laughs> all right, first off... Uh, a lot of teams make the playoffs uh, and even more teams make the playoffs uh, this year. And not all expansion teams are created equally. So what Nashville did relative to what Miami did, I'm much more impressed with what Nashville did than what Miami did. All right. This is David Beckham's inter Miami. This is a team that when it first came about was supposed to be big, bold, super clubby, uh, you know, arrogant in a good way in the things that they did and get people to turn their head uh, and, and not just scrape into the playoffs. And look, they might go on and win MLS Cup, which is, which is fine. But to pat themselves on the back for coming against all odds. I mean, this is not the little engine that could that we're talking about here. And the fact that they're playing the other expansion team in a playing game could really undercut any kind of sense of accomplishment, because I'm sorry, if you just uh, get the 10th spot out of 14 teams in the East and then lose to the other expansion team in a playoff game, and it makes it really hard to sell that this was some sort of successful season. If they went out in the playoffs to some established uh, franchise, they could say, look, for an expansion team, we did well, we got in and we, we need time to get to the level of the team that just beat us. But when you lose to the other expansion team, you kind of don't have that excuse. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it on air last night about this, the, the prevailing wisdom out there is that the East Eastern Conference is stronger than the Western Conference. And I, and I certainly can see the argument uh, for that when you look at some of the teams, obviously the Supporter Shield winner, uh, what Orlando has done, even sneaky good teams like NYCFC that we've talked about, Toronto, you know, I mean, it, it's stocked over there. But when I look at the West side, um, don't sleep on the West, okay? And whether it's just the inherent success that we have seen, especially over the last five years between uh, Portland and Seattle, LAFC getting hot. I mean, we, we got uh, Carlos Vela back on the field and they're only going to get better. Uh, and they're going to certainly give Seattle a game uh, up there. And even someone like, like San Jose, which we had written off and Matias Almeida is, I don't know how many lives he has, but there was a time where we were talking about, they got to get, they got to get rid of him. And that he finds a way into not just the playoffs, but now he's in the, the scenario where his teams seem to, to relish and love, which is a tournament type of setting. That's going to be a popular upset pick because they face Sporting KC in the 1-8 game in the West. And I think a lot of people think Sporting KC are a team that's not that great, that kind of underachieved, or I'm sorry, overachieved to get that top spot uh, in the West. 
And as you mentioned, San Jose feel like a very dangerous underdog going in there. And so there's a uh, Sonics Nuggets uh, 1994 NBA first round field. That's a very obscure NBA reference there. But I think NBA diehards will, will know what I'm talking about uh, that matchup. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised when, when people start making their predictions this week. Uh, more than you would expect might pick San Jose to knock off uh, Sporting KC. I would expect nothing less than an obscure NBA reference from you, <laughs> my friend. Uh, that would uh, that would be good. Um, some, uh, some individual awards. Congratulations to Diego Rossi for being uh, the Golden Boot winner. Uh, I did make my votes. Uh, I did vote for Diego Rossi for MVP. As you know, uh, if you've been following me for any uh, stretch of time, or if you're new, I will explain it to you. When it comes to the MVP, MLS does not give us any criteria. And so I get to make up my own and I do each and every uh, year. And it's really very simple. Uh, it's, it's only about four different things. One, your team has to make the playoffs, especially in a year like this. If you don't make the playoffs, I don't care how good you are. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, you got to find a way to, uh, to make the playoffs. Uh, two, it's only goal scorers. There is nothing more valuable in the game than goal scoring. And therefore, the only people that I can have as my MVP uh, are goal scorers. Three, I, it's not about how many goals you score. Okay. It's about how many different games that you actually score in. Because for me, if you are able to walk on the field and know that you are already, by the numbers, up one, one zero, that is incredibly valuable to, uh, to have. So when, when I put it all into my calculations, it is ultimately Diego Rossi. Now, Jassy Zardes had a real good call uh, in terms of the numbers of games, but ultimately they were tied on numbers of games and Diego Rossi played fewer games and he was able to do it in fewer games. And so he just edged out in terms of my MVP voting, uh, Jesse Zardes. So congratulations to him. I don't know if he's going to win, but that's who, that's who I ultimately uh, voted for. Is this still Paul Carr that helped you out with this MVP? Yes. Stuff? Yes. Each and every year I it's, it's, uh, it's a, uh, a not Thanksgiving. It's just a, a fall tradition where, uh, and he knows exactly what I'm saying. I don't even have to say anything. I, I just say, Paul, you know, it's time. And he comes back with the, uh, the numbers. It's very Let me easy. Tell you something. Him. Uh, Paul Carr is a better man than I am because the day that I am not professionally obligated to answer your questions, uh, you think I'm answering that phone and looking up <laughs> stats. He gets a me. kick. He gets a kick out of it. And even during the games, he was texting. He was texting me as it went up and down. And you know when Jassy's artist scored, and then it was it was going on. And, and there was even an opportunity for Barrich to be in in play, except Chicago at the very end decided that they weren't going to make the playoffs. And so it just it doesn't work if you're not in the playoffs. It just uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't happen. I don't know when those awards will be ultimately uh, uh, announced. All right, uh, Mossy, anything else about these uh, matchups? Uh, not about these matchups, but uh, there is some uh, breaking news. Uh, if I seem a little distracted right now, there's some breaking news that uh, could impact MLS teams moving forward. A couple that you mentioned that missed the playoffs. Uh, Flamengo have just sacked Dom Torrent. They had an embarrassing 4-0 defeat to Atletico Mineiro this past weekend in the Brasileirão. And uh, so I suspect Dom Torrent will be the uh, new head coach of either Atlanta or the Galaxy. He's been mentioned for both. And the only impediment was that he was under contract with another team. Well, that is no longer the case. He is available. I'm texting with Ian Joy about it right now. Ian Joy obviously knows him well from covering NYCFC. And I expect him to be back in MLS uh, next year. Like I said, coaching one of these teams that missed the playoffs. What do you make of that? Are you calling it? You're calling it now, right? Uh, yeah. And I would lean Atlanta. It seems like they've been more heavily linked. With interesting. Him. Um, interesting. I, I would disagree. I don't think that that's, uh, Oh really? You don't, you're not that high on him as a, no, no, I, I, I think he's good. I just don't, uh, I don't, I don't see it happening. 
doesn't move the needle for you? Like if, if one of those clubs announced tomorrow, Atlanta, the galaxy, our new head coach is Dom Torrent. You'd be sort of nonplussed by that. It wouldn't yes, be like a big time hire. To you. doesn't mean he wouldn't be successful, but as far as sexy or interesting, eh? You know. Interesting. The man was Pep Guardiola's right-hand man, Alexi. He's, okay. Uh, he, he drinks from that same fountain. <laughs> All right, if you say so. Uh, look, I mean, it, it certainly, as I've said, for both of those jobs, I think they are still plum jobs, and they're going to have a lot of people. And that would be, that would be you know, a wonderful type of uh, candidate. But yeah, to hop back to the playoffs for one second, we started with this. I want to bring it back around. Seattle LAFC is... I mean, you can't ask for more in the first round. So that's the matchup I have circled. Uh, lots of other good games as well. But that one, uh, I mean, I cannot wait. That is just going to be an incredible game. And I mean, if, if Seattle wins that game and LAFC crash out in the first round, I mean, does this just go down as a colossal failure of a season for them? If Seattle is beaten by LAFC, yes. No, no, if Seattle wins, LAFC crash out in the first round of the playoffs. Mm, uh, for LAFC, I don't think so. I mean, a, a year in which you had your MVP out the entire year. Um, yeah, I don't think that they will look at it as a, a well, no, I don't think they'll look at it as a colossal failure. A failure, yes, but I don't think a, a colossal failure to lose to Seattle, obviously on the road. But you know, I, I said I said last night, my my head tells me in terms of picking a winner through all of this that it's going to be Seattle versus Toronto, okay? I'm still not buying that Philadelphia is going to be able to parlay it into an MLS Cup. My heart tells me, and maybe a part of my head, tells me that crazy stuff happens. And it happens each and every year. It's the most difficult league in the world, I think, to predict, including in the playoffs. And so something like LAFC running the table over there, despite the seventh uh place coming out of the West and, you know, someone like uh, NYCFC coming out of the East. Now, would that be ridiculous? Not really, because it's MLS, but, but it's not, it's not safe money to do something like that. I don't know. What, what, what are you, when you look at this, if you had to go to Vegas right now and put it all down on one thing. I, I still kind of like Seattle. So the yeah. whole thing, is that a boring pick? I mean, no, it's not boring at all. Uh, it's, a, it's a good team. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, they know what they're doing. Okay, as you mentioned, uh, from a Fox perspective, we will have that play-in game. New England hosting Montreal, Bruce Arena versus Thierry Henry. That happens on November 20th. Uh, and then the winners of both the play-in games, so either New England or Montreal, or on the other side, as you mentioned, either Nashville or Miami, will then go into the Eastern uh, Conference uh, and, play, uh, and play teams and then go on there. They will either play Toronto, um, or well, the way it works is the, the, the lowest seeded team to come out of these playing games faces Philadelphia, faces and, then Philadelphia. The other faces and then the next one faces uh, Toronto. So Philadelphia and Toronto are waiting in the wings for who is, uh, who they are, who they are going to play. Uh, and then that all gets started, uh, on November 21st. So is that, that's the day after they just, they just go and they play the game the day after yeah, November we're... 20th and then November 21st, you know, you should have done better in the regular season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I presume those games would not be the ones involving the the playing teams. I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked at the schedule that carefully, but 
Well, we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's either November 21st, November 22nd, or November 20th. Either way, it's a very or, quick turnaround. It's a very quick turnaround. But you know what? Like I said, you should have done better in the regular season and positioned yourself better. Like who? Like the Philadelphia Union. Congratulations again to the Philadelphia Union uh, and Jim Curtin and all the Philadelphia Union does, fans. Does the name uh, Roger Maris mean anything to you? Roger Maris. Yes. He was a baseball player. Correct. Right? Correct. For... Yeah. Uh, the New York Yankees, uh, in 1961, he broke Babe Ruth's uh, single-season home run record, but he did it in a season in which uh, there were 162 games played as opposed to Babe Ruth did it when it was 154. And uh, Major League Baseball very controversially decided that there should be an asterisk uh, next to that record. Uh, they were very protective of the legacy of Babe Ruth, and, and Roger Maris was seen as sort of not a great enough player that's worthy of, 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 of breaking that record. And so that's sort of the most famous asterisk in sports. And it's sort of in the, in the years since this whole concept of asterisks, I know it's been, it, 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 it does have a negative connotation to it, Alexi. When you put an asterisk sure. next to something, it, it sort of indicates you don't think it was done completely on the level, but you're, as far as the Philadelphia Union and their supporters should, you're sort of neutral about it. You think, the asterisk here indicates just that this was an unusual season, but doesn't necessarily connote that it's less worthy of an achievement or more. It's just sort of neutral. Exactly. But, but it's, I think it is important and maybe more so in baseball. I mean, there's no game that, that revolves around numbers more than baseball. Right. So when you are comparing, I want people going forward to understand what they are ultimately comparing and what, what does make sense and what doesn't make sense and not just, say, well, this happened here. And so it's, it's equal. No, it's, it's not equal. It's okay. Now you may argue that it's better, or you may argue that it's worse, but it's not equal relative to the other 24 seasons. And I know that there has been an unbalanced schedule. I know that there are things in every single season that you could say, well, this wasn't exactly right, but come on again, 2020 looks nothing like any of the other 24 seasons. And so when we are comparing going forward, I think it is completely fair to have that asterisk to remind people that this is what happened. And then you can decide for yourself uh, how, how much or little credence to give it going forward. So I, you know, that's, that, that's what's going to happen. But you know what, like I said, it's Philly. Philly doesn't care. They don't care what I think or anybody else. They're going to celebrate. They're going to have a good time uh, as they should. They're going to put that trophy in their cabinet. That's going to be part of their history. And by the way, the first one in their history and uh, you know, they can, they can live it up and it doesn't really matter what I or anybody else uh, say going forward. But when I'm comparing future accomplishments to what happened in 2020, that's why the asterisk is there for me to let people understand what we are really comparing here and how it's important to understand that when you do do that comparison. All right, Mossy, anything else? That's it. All right, we're going to take a little break here. When we come back, real quick roundup of what's happened over the last week when it comes to Europe, both uh, in Champions League and uh, the club seasons that are continuing on. Don't go away. Moving on. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations, 
or fund projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, welcome back. Uh, real quick, European roundup, uh, if you will. Let's start, uh, Mossy, with... Uh, not specifics necessarily, but Champions League happened, as did the domestic uh, game. But let's start with uh, with Champions League. Anything stand out to you with regards to what happened there? Well, we're at the midway point of the group stage through three match days. And, and the biggest story is the specter of PSG crashing out on the group stage. They are now in third place in their group behind Manchester United and Leipzig, who are each on six points. PSG is on three. PSG lost on match day 3-2-1 away to Leipzig. Uh, they played this game without Neymar, Mbappe, or Verratti. They actually took a 1-0 lead through Di Maria and had a penalty to go up 2-0, but Di Maria missed, and that was a turning point. Leipzig grew into the game. Unkunku equalized late in the half against his former team, and then a Forsberg penalty in the second half. It ends 2-1 Leipzig. The only thing I would say here is... Uh, the first tiebreaker is head-to-head. -head. These two teams meet again in Paris on match day four. PSG could have Neymar, Mbappe, and Verratti back by then. Uh, let's see if they win that game and by what score, and if they come out of this with the head-to-head, -head, we might look back on this match day three game and feel like Leipzig didn't fully capitalize on the situation. You're facing this really understrength PSG team at home, and you had a man advantage for the last 20 minutes. Idrissa Gay got sent off. Uh, and to quote-unquote only win 2-1, we might look back on that and think it wasn't that great a result. But nevertheless, that, that all presumes that PSG, first of all, are going to get all these guys back. And number two, that they're going to be able to sort of rediscover their form here because this has been a very awkward transition for them from last season to this season. They had a major COVID outbreak early on. Now all these injuries. And you kind of feel like they haven't really gotten going yet this season. And they kind of have to now. They don't have a lot of margin for error in this group. Their next two games are home to Leipzig and away to Manchester United. And they need to get some points in those games. So, uh, boy, PSG crashing out on the group say that would be a debacle. Huh? Uh, yes, that would be a debacle. That would, yeah, that would definitely uh, be considered a, a failure. You were asking earlier in the pod about <laughs> if, if, uh, if LAFC not beating Seattle would be considered a failure. Well, if PSG bombs out in the group stage, yes, that would be considered an incredible failure. Speaking of, uh, of failing and or succeeding, I don't know. Uh, this this United team, uh, they, uh, what was it, 2-1? Again, you got to pronounce this for me, Masi. Istanbul Bashak Shahir. Oh, I love it. It's like music when you say it. So what, what's the deal with United, Masi? Well, you know, they, they do the hard part, which is they win away to PSG match they won. Uh, they thump Leipzig match day two. And then they have two games in a row against Istanbul Bashak Shahir. And I said, you know, okay, now all they have to do is take care of business in these two games and they're through. And of course they lose this one. Uh, so now that sort of keeps them in the scrum. Uh, they haven't been able to separate themselves in this group as much as you thought they were going to after this match day. So yeah, I mean, United have just been all over the place this season 
And this is uh, further evidence of that. Yeah, terrible result for sure. I think I've asked you this before. Are you still of the opinion that if you could only have one, you would have Lewandowski over Aaron Holland? Yeah. Now, are we still in? Are we still in Champions League mode yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to transition scored, to a game. Two, and- right? I mean, they 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 beat up on Club Bruges and he scored two, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Holland is is incredible. I mean, he he continues to do his thing. But yeah, Lewandowski is off to a historically great start in okay. the Bundesliga. I just want to make sure as we continue to to talk about. Uh, Aaron Holland, whether it's whether it's domestically with what he's doing uh, for uh, for Dortmund or in Champions League, that yeah. you are still not yet putting he's, him he's on the, the level of Lewandowski for sure, and will be the best striker in the world for many many years. I don't know if that baton has been completely passed. Okay, just I just yet. wanted to make sure. I just want to know when that baton. Bayern, by the way, uh, you know, spare a thought for Jesse Marsh, who Salzburg faced Bayern. Uh, this game was close throughout. It was three two late. You're thinking, boy, Salzburg really putting up a, a good fight. And then Bayern explode for three goals late. So it ends up being 6-2. It looks like it was a blowout, which it really wasn't. But that's just how explosive Bayern are. They can, they can turn close games into blowouts in a blink of an eye. Yeah, I mean, as you navigate all these other groups, there's nothing all that surprising with the exception of Group B. which And actually, before the group stage, we identified Group B and Group H, the, the, the United Leipzig PSU group, as the most compelling. And it's kind of playing out that way. The big surprise in Group B is how good Gladbach have been. Frankly, they should be on nine points right now because they surrendered a stoppage time equalizer to Inter on match day one and then a stoppage time equalizer to Real Madrid um, on match day two. Then they go out and thump Shakhtar 6-0 in Ukraine match day three. So if not for those two defensive lapses, like they could easily be on nine points and in total command of this group. They are in first place of it. Real Madrid got a massive win match day three. They beat Inter 3-2. They had jumped out 2-0 lead. Benzema and Sergio Ramos then Inter equalized with Lautaro and Perisic. And then Rodrigo, the young Brazilian, gets a comes off the bench, gets a late winner, assist from Vinicius, a little Brazilian connection there. And that was a big, big result for Real Madrid. But they still have a lot of work in this group. This has been a, a very compelling group. And then uh, should we finish it up with uh, Juventus? I mean, we always got to talk about Juventus and Ronaldo back, and they, they were fine. I, I, was, I haven't read the article yet, but I, I, I just pinned it. Uh, there was somebody making the potential case that, that Ronaldo's time at Juventus has not been ultimately what it was set up to be. I don't know if you agree with that or, or not. And I know it's a much broader type of question uh, going on, but at least he's back on the field. He's still incredible. And- I mean, <laughs> if so, that's through no fault of his own. His numbers are outstanding. They, he just hasn't gotten enough help uh, in these big Champions League uh, uh, knockout stage games. But uh, I mean, that, that's... But he's, but he's there to bring him the, the, to the promised land, right? Yeah, I suppose. But I think that that's harsh on him. I have to read the article and see what angle okay. the guy's taking in, in making that statement. Uh, the, the other one last uh, Champions League thing, which actually will segue nicely into talking about the Premier League. Uh, Liverpool, give them credit. They're making easy work out of a group that could have been tricky with Ajax and Atalanta. Uh, they, uh, match day three, uh, got a uh, 5-0 away win over Atalanta. And we talked about the whole Jota-Firmino thing last week. Jota gets the start in this game, scores a hat-trick. And so there you go. I mean, it just sort of <laughs> makes the situation even more complicated for Klopp. And uh, and he, he figured out an interesting way to handle it at the weekend in the oh, Premier League. Poor, so. poor Klopp, poor Liverpool. <laughs> oh, it feels so bad. But, th- but that was quite the result. To, to Atalanta, they haven't been as great early on this season, but they're still a good enough team that to go in there and win 5-0. That is nothing to sneeze at. So, uh, it's Liverpool. Yeah, it's, it's Liverpool. Uh... <laughs> Come on. 
Come but that, all right, that, well, that's, that's all I got Champions League wise. If you want, all right. To... So segue it into into uh, the weekend and in uh, Liverpool. Well, so Liverpool were involved in the big game in the Premier League. They were away to Manchester City, and so coming off this Champions League game, where Jota starts and gets a hat trick. Uh, you think, what, what is Klopp going to do here? Because, you know, he he loves Firmino and Firmino certainly banked a lot of currency with him over the years. He doesn't want to completely discard him, but it also would be ludicrous to not have Jota on the field as much as possible, given the, the, the scoring streak that he's on. So the solution that Klopp came up with in this game was to start essentially a 4-2-4 formation. He started both Jota and Firmino along with Salah and Mane. And it worked out relatively well. They, they played it, they put forth a decent performance, got a 1-1 draw away to Manchester City. Nothing wrong with that. But you wonder if, if long-term that can be the solution here. Eventually, he's going to have to pick between one of those two because, you know, when, when they get healthier in the midfield and you have Thiago back and, and Keita along with Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Fabinho, although with Van Dijk out, Fabinho might spend most of the season at center back. But nevertheless, there's enough quality there that you're not going to want to leave too many of those midfielders off the team. So he's got to kind of figure this whole Jota hey, for me. Out. He is one of the greats because of his man management. All right, well, manage it. Figure it out because you're going to have some people that aren't going to be happy. You're going to have some people that are going to be downright angry. And you're going to be going into a situation that you haven't had to deal with before. And so this is this is what he's paid, paid for. Uh, I'll be interested to get your uh, take because uh, over – over the last 24 hours, both Klopp and Pep Guardiola has have, have come out talking about the three substitute uh, situation that uh, England uh, decided to, I guess, return to for this season. Uh, everybody else has kind of continued on with the five, the kind of the COVID five substitution rule that a lot of people actually saw some benefits from and, and a lot of leagues wanted to continue. The EPL and their infinite wisdom voted not to do that. And both Klopp and uh, Pep have come out and said, well, we should we should have this. Uh, it's a necessity. It's something that protects our players. Now, is, is that true, or is it just because these are big clubs and they have incredible stockpiles of talent that actually advantages? Uh, it's an advantage to them to have that five. Is that where this is really ultimately coming from? No, I think they are genuinely concerned about the schedule and the injuries that you're seeing all over the league. And it's interesting that some of the clubs that voted against the five subs before the season have now changed their mind and said, if, if, if it was put to a vote again, we'd probably vote in favor of it. Um, and yeah, I was reading, there was a Premier League official who is in favor of the five subs who made an interesting point. He said, you know, leagues that have a much bigger issue than the Premier League with competitive imbalance voted for it. So why is the Premier League that... Uh, of all the top European leagues is probably the most competitive top to bottom. Why are they so worried about this issue of competitive imbalance? And, and, he, and he went on to say, you know, there is an issue of competitive imbalance in European football, but it's a larger issue than three or five subs in a game. And if you're really that concerned that, about that, then we need to have much larger conversations about salary caps and all the rest. But to, to sort of, you know, make so this. Then why did they vote? So then why did they vote for it? I mean, is it just yeah, we're England and we're going to do things differently because you're not going to tell us how to do? I mean, there's got to be an element of that too, right? Yeah, they're traditionalists at heart, and uh, also they—you're right—they like to go their own way on things. And and the way it was sold at the beginning of the season was that it would be this huge competitive advantage for the bigger clubs, which at a time when there is this concern about how top-heavy uh, European leagues are becoming, you know, we're going to create something else that's going to give an advantage to the bigger clubs. So that was sort of the sentiment of why they voted against it. But 
already a few weeks into the season. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to bring this up because you had a infamous back and forth with Sid Lowe about this on Twitter. <laughs> You're in favor of the five subs. He wanted to go back to three. And I know you, you feel like you've, you've won this debate because every other league kept the five. And now even the one that didn't is sort of acknowledging they made a mistake and not doing so. Mossy, so Mossy, uh, Sid Mossy. Lowe takes a big L on this one. Huh? Mossy, it's not about winning and losing. All right? <laughs> I, I just, I want, I want what's good for not just the game, Mossy, but good for humanity. Okay. That's all I want. Okay. Whether it's Sid Lowe or anybody else, I care about the humans involved in this. All right. So we're looking at an EPL right now where Leicester at one, Spurs at two, Liverpool at three, Southampton at four. Uh, I think there, there are very few people that would predict, would have predicted this type of top four on November 9th, 2020. Are we, are we ultimately going to see a kind of strange and topsy-turvy EPL going forward here? Or is this just until things flush out and the cream does ultimately rise to the top, this is just what's going to happen for now on a temporary basis? Uh, I think uh, this is temporary and the cream will rise to the top. I still expect a, a more familiar looking top four by the end of the season, some combination <laughs> of Liverpool city, Chelsea and Tottenham. The one club I'm really wondering about is Arsenal who uh, they, they had an embarrassing three nil defeat to Aston Villa at home. Aston Villa, by the way, this season already have a seven, two win over Liverpool and now a three nil win over Arsenal. And look, here's the deal with Arteta. Uh, it's one thing if you establish your identity as being a team that for the most part is going to play proactive, expansive football. And then when you find yourself in, in, against Liverpool or City in a, in, a, in a cup final, and in those instances, you want to you wanna tweak it and be a little bit more reactive and play on the counter and come up with a smart game plan and get a result, then people are going to praise you for your adaptability. But the issue with Arteta is he's so far only shown an ability to do the second thing. And he's struggling to do the, the first part, which is to establish a sort of weekend, week out identity of playing expansive football. So eh, the whole Arteta Arsenal thing is a little weird to forget. He has some very impressive results, including one very recently. They just won away to Manchester United for the first time in many years. But but I don't know, overall, they're, they're, they're wallowing mid table. And I, I don't think it's all come together that nicely yet. I mean, nobody cares. Stuff. Just win. Nobody cares. It's Arsenal. You got great hair, Arteta, but it doesn't matter. You got to win. And then you can talk about style and identity and all that kind of stuff. All right, let's let's uh, let's let's keep going here uh, over there in uh, in Germany. Der Klassiker. All right. You mentioned it. Bayern Munich coming away with a three to two victory over Dortmund. Is this just more of the same? And we talk about the, you know, the cream rising to the top. Each year we get lulled in and lured in like like the sirens singing from the Bundesliga and then our hopes that somebody is actually going to challenge Bayern Munich, oftentimes in the form of, of, of Dortmund are, are dashed on the rocks. Is, is this really what this, this result means? Yeah, I hate to say it, but it's the same old story for Dortmund. It's a good team, fun team, but not quite good enough. And, you know, little thing, but it's sort of a cliche to talk about, oh, this is what champions do. And, and, and But at late in the half, Dortmund score, Marco Royce to take the lead. And you think, okay, they're going to go into halftime with a 1-0 lead. And psychologically, that could be very significant. Bayern turn right around and get the equalizer. Last kick of the half, Alaba with that free kick. And now it's 1-1 and Dortmund are completely deflated. And then Lewandowski scores a go-ahead goal early in the second half. So, you know, it's it's those last minute of the half, last couple minutes of the second half. You know, those are the sort of goals that the, the, the true champions always find a way to sort of get that goal to, to change the whole direction of the match. Now, I, I do want to – this was a very interesting game from a VAR perspective because uh, Robert Lewandowski – 
had uh, two goals wiped out uh, for uh, VAR offsides decisions and in one in each half. And I think this illustrated the, the real dilemma that we struggle with with VAR because the second one was one that while close, was not millimetrically close. It was one that even eyeballing it, you could say, oh yeah, he is half a yard off sides. And, and it was initially given and had that goal in a pre-VAR world where that goal stood, Dortmund fans would have felt cheated there uh, because he was clearly off sides. The first one that he had wiped away was more of this, the millimetric type that, man, eyeballing it, it looks like he's level. So in this sort of, in, in a pre-VAR, pre-lines world, I think that goal would have stood and there's not a living soul in the world that would have complained that Dortmund got cheated because just eyeballing that it looked like he was level. And so there are people that say, well, kudos to VAR for wiping away the second goal. And that's what VAR is for. And that's what we want it for. But man, wiping away goals like the first one, that's when you're getting too crazy with it. And then there are people like you that shake your head like you're doing right now and say, no, once you go down this route, you know, you sort of, you you, you can't sort of have it both ways. And then once you go, when we start drawing lines and having VAR, then you have to accept that both those goals are going to be wiped away. So, I mean, that, that, it was kind of an interesting illustration of this sort of larger dilemma we have when it comes to VAR. Can't be a little pregnant. And <laughs> you, at some point in dealing with offside, somebody and some human being ultimately has to define and place a line. Okay. And so if you move that line, Go ahead, but we're still arguing about that line, and so it, it won't change anything to move uh, to move that line. I get it. I get it. It makes you it makes you it makes you feel better, but it doesn't change any of the the, the situation that's going on. I, I mean, we we have this conversation constantly. All right, anything else, uh, Bundesliga wise? Well, a couple of things. Arena started, and I thought played well in this game. Yep. Uh, and also Joshua Kimmich, who I sang his praises last week, said he's one of the best players in the world. He got injured in this game, making a tackle on Holland. And I haven't seen the official uh, diagnosis yet, but it sounded pretty serious. He could be out months. That would be a massive. Didn't massive look good. It didn't look good at all. It didn't look good. Uh, speaking of injuries, if we transition over to uh, La Liga, uh, Ansu Fati injured, and uh, I think if I read meniscus tear, he's he's out for a long time now. That's that sucks for a young and obviously very talented player. Terrible news for them. Uh, yeah, he's one of the best young players in the world. I will say though, and you, you, I don't want to express any happiness about a player getting injured. There is some Conrad De La Fuente implications here. Uh, the young American that is looking to get on the field for, for Barcelona and, and Ansu Fati going down, maybe that opens the door a little bit for him. The, 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 the stat that really jumped out at me from this game, Barcelona beat Betis 5-2. Messi came off the bench and scored two goals. And <laughs> of all the Messi records, this one might be the most mind-boggling. He has scored more La Liga goals as a substitute than any other player in this century, uh, 26, which when you're a guy that starts 99.9% .9 of the games you play, the idea that you would be setting substitute goals records is, is, is pretty astonishing to me, but he, he even has <laughs> those kinds of records too in La Liga. So uh, That's amazing. That is, that is, <laughs> it, is it sacrilege? to question or or at least ask you how much of that is relative to him playing in la liga okay so the player that he is and obviously for the team that he plays for you know those those records would it be the same anywhere uh, i think so uh but you think so yeah he yeah i mean he's because he spent his whole and i, I will say this season 
Um, the, the second of those two goals he scored mm-hmm. was the first non-penalty kick goal he scored this season. His first six goals this season had all come via the penalty spot. He had yet to score a goal from the run of play. So I, I know, to, to borrow your friend, I know it's sacrilege to ever criticize Messi, but that was something that was kind of, boy, really, he hasn't scored a goal from the run of play. We're now several games into this season, and now he gets one, so he kind of puts that to rest. But, um, you know, so... We'll see if if this now kind of sets him on a, on a path to getting his usual numbers. But that, that was a little bit of an interesting thing. Uh, a couple of other La Liga results I do want to headline. I, I've been singing his praises, so I want to do it again. Uh, Atletico Madrid beat Cadiz 4-0. João Felix with two more goals and an assist to Luis Suarez. He's been the best player in Spain this season. He This is... Uh, a, a star guy becoming a star before our eyes. I mean, he's putting it all together. Like I said, even Simeone can't screw this up. This kid is so talented. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, just so much fun to watch right now. And then Real Madrid got drilled away to Valencia for one. Uh, no Casemiro or Hazard, who both tested positive for COVID. And, and the Casemiro absence was really felt. My, my dad always jokes that the key to Brazil winning any tournament is for us to somehow figure out to get forgot a way to get through the obligatory Casemiro suspension game because he always picks up enough yellow cards to get a yellow uh, yellow card accumulation suspension somewhere along the way. And you have to figure out a way to get through that game. And that's the importance he has for Brazil. And I think it's the importance he has for Real Madrid as well. It's a whole different team when they don't have them in the midfield. And you saw that again this weekend. Uh, and Masi, uh, real quick, anything from uh, Serie A? Uh, yes, there were some big games this weekend. Lazio and Juventus played to a 1-1 draw. Ronaldo gave Juventus the lead. And then Felipe Caicedo... Uh, deep in stoppage time with an equalizer for Lazio. Lazio are a team that are dealing with this crazy controversy where they've been accused of falsifying COVID tests because they have guys that are testing negative in their tests that they conduct and then are testing positive in UEFA tests ahead of Champions League games. So they're having to explain themselves there. Uh, Atalanta and Inter played to a one-all draw. And then interesting, AC Milan coming off getting drilled by Lille in the Europa League 3-0. They fell 2-0 down against Verona. They come back to salvage a 2-2 draw. Uh, Zlatan scored a late equalizer, but Zlatan did miss a penalty in this game. He's missed three already this season. And it's becoming a bit of an awkward situation because nobody you know, has the sort of courage to tell him that he needs to stop taking penalties. And so he's going to keep taking them, but it, this is like the one chink in his armor. He's not that good at taking penalties. And so keep an eye on that situation. I can imagine the, uh, <laughs> the conversations in the, in the locker room or in the coaching room. You tell him, I'm not going to tell him, you tell him, I, we'll go find somebody to tell him. They got to just go get somebody to tell him, man, that, that requires <laughs> a, a delicate type of conversation to be had. Um, I will say uh, Christian Pulisic is injured again. Nothing new, evergreen type of stuff. When we talk about Christian, uh, we will talk more about Christian Pulisic and more importantly, the U.S. men's national team as they get back together in our next segment, which is Ask Alexi. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Moving on. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Okay, welcome back. It's that time again. Time for Ask Alexi. You use that hashtag Ask Alexi uh, and uh, you send us on all the different social media platforms out there. Your questions, comments, and concerns. We pick a few of them each week as we did this week and uh, we try to respond to them. All right, Mossy, what do the people want to know or what do they want to say this week? Uh, first up, at Evan Gavilio, uh, what do you hope to learn from upcoming U.S. men's national team games? Okay, so uh, for those that don't know, the U.S. men's national team for the first time since, gosh, January, February, certainly the beginning of the year and a long time is finally getting back together uh, in the form of two games, one against Wales uh, in the U.K. and then one against Panama in, uh, in Austria. Both of those games we will be televising, so both of those games we will be working over there on uh, Fox, and we're really looking forward to see what this team looks like. Uh, and not just this team. I mean, this is... This is the dream, if you will, for uh, a lot of the uh, U.S. men's national team folks out there in terms of the roster. It is almost all European-based. Uh, there's one player in Sebastian Legette who's from MLS, um, and the only reason that he is there is because his team is not in the playoffs, having uh, him playing for the Los Angeles, uh, uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy. Um, th- this is a, a, a roster that a lot of people are very, very excited for because of the undeniable talent and more importantly, let's be honest, where that talent is playing. And a lot of that talent, it just hasn't played together. It still is a very inexperienced um, and young roster. A lot of players that have zero caps, never even been, including some, I guess what we now we would call big time players like Gio Reyna, never played for the national team. So as far as what do I hope to learn from these up, up, upcoming games? A couple of things. One, uh, what is the difference between the, uh, the very impressive resumes and pedigrees uh, on paper of these players as opposed to the reality when they get to the national team? What do they look like? Because we know it doesn't always translate. Now, you hedge your bets, and I do think a lot of these players are going to translate, but until we actually see them and we haven't been able to see them, we got to be able to assess uh, to assess them. The other part of the equation is Greg Berhalter himself. We know that he came in with a expansive, romantic, uh, progressive, and very different type of approach, wanting to this national team to do some things very, very differently. Well, what does that require? Well, it requires time, something that even in normal circumstances, you have very little of as a national team coach, and certainly much less so in that he's just lost an entire year. So does he change in every way? Does he become more pragmatic and realistic as he goes, uh, as he goes forward? Um, as I said, time and time again, it's not about the best players. It's about the best collection of players. And this is the first look at this group of players with those great resumes and pedigrees in trying to define and decide who that group is going, uh, is going to be. Now, I mentioned the, the lack of MLS players. That was bu- done by design. Uh, we asked uh, Greg Berhalter about this on our uh, broadcast this week. He was nice enough to come on this week to our MLS broadcast about this decision. And I really wanted to, to understand, because in this day and age where there are so many players playing overseas and it's some very big clubs and all of that attention and all of that opportunity that is afforded to them. And I think rightly so what that says and how an MLS player should feel about giving himself the best possible chance of playing on the national team. Uh, here's what I asked. And here's what Greg Berhalter said. 
Uh, Greg, I know you talked a little about, uh, bit about this, but what do you say to MLS players that are playing right now that see all the attention and opportunity to players that are playing overseas um, about their future uh, playing for the national team? Do you have to play overseas in order to be considered for a Greg Berhalter national team? No, you, you know that's not true, Lexi, and that's never been the case. You know, when you when you look at our squads, it, it's usually pretty well balanced. Um, in this particular case, we opted not to take some core um, national team players that are going to be competing in the playoffs. And, you know, I appreciate firsthand what the coaches put into the season and how much time they dedicate and to lose some of their star players for the playoffs. It just didn't feel right to me. So we left those players purposely off the roster, but it gave us at the same time the opportunity to look at some of these young talents. And, and we're excited to be working with them. We're excited about these two games. They're going to be two good tests and, a, and an opportunity for us to evaluate this young group. All right. So I think that that was uh, important. And, you know, he has, he has said this before. And I, I, and I do believe that he recognizes that the MLS component, uh, and I guess not even MLS, just the domestic component, because it certainly could include USL, is going to be an uh, important part of this ultimate group. Now, what we're looking at here right now with this, with this group that's going to play over these next uh, couple of games um, look, take your pick on what you're excited to see. I mentioned in the previous segment, Christian Pulisic, we don't know if he's going to ultimately be on the field, but this should be nothing new to us. Uh, Greg Berhalter talked about him as if he could potentially play some part, but we, we don't know. But the likes of Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney on the field for the same time. I think Tyler Adams only played one game for, for Greg Berhalter. So this is all this is all new. This is all good stuff. This is stuff to be excited about as we go as we go forward. Um, there are certainly players that are being looked at here for the sole reason that they are playing in Europe. There are certainly players here that won't factor in uh, going forward. But it is a great opportunity for Greg Berhalter and his staff uh, to see these players. And when it comes to uh, you know certain players here, where we're talking about someone like Yunus Musa. For Valencia, this is a feather in the cap for Greg Berhalter, for Brian McBride, and for Ernie Stewart, because ultimately it is a recruiting process. And when you have players that can play uh, and are dual nationals and sometimes more than dual nationals that can play for multiple national teams, you got to be able to sell them on what you have going. And there's the cases here where, at least initially, it looks good. It looks positive that they are considering the U.S. national team uh, going forward. And we need all the help that we can get. Doesn't matter where it comes from. They're all Americans. And if they're good at soccer, we need to put them together and get that best collection of players right now. Uh, what stood out for you, Mossy, when it comes to uh, this, this roster that's been put together for both uh, the game against Wales and the game against Panama? Well, a couple of things. I'll start where you just ended talking about uh, Yunus Musa and, and some other dual citizenship situations that are playing out right now. And you, you can kind of see it in the rhetoric of U.S. fans, sort of their growing confidence all of a sudden, because for the longest time, whenever the U.S. would fight for a player with an elite against an elite soccer nation, one of the blue bloods, if you will, mm -hmm. there was sort of this um, understanding that either he was going to 
choose the other nation based on prestige, or if he chose the US, it would merely be because uh, he saw less competition there, more of an opportunity for playing time, and you're happy to get him, but you also understand it's a little bit of a backhanded compliment that he chose you. And now in some of these recent situations, US fans are feeling like players are choosing the US more because they see that the US is building something special and there's this incredible future there and the potential for a lot of success in the next two or three cycles and World Cups and such. And so I just think it's interesting that the, the, the rhetoric has changed in these dual citizenship debates. US fans are now puffing their chest out a little bit more and saying, no, no, he chose us because he actually thinks we have more upside than you as a soccer nation, not because he thinks he, there's less competition with us. So I, I just find that to be kind of interesting. And yeah, you hit on the larger point here. Look, I think Greg Berhalter, um, did the correct thing. I said a couple of weeks ago, he shouldn't take any, any MLS player from a team that's going to the playoffs. On the day that he announced the list, Houston and Cincinnati were the only two teams that had been eliminated. He didn't want anybody from those teams. And so he made it all European based. And since then, Josh Sargent dropped out. And by then the Galaxy had been eliminated. So they were fair game. And so he takes Sebastian Legette. So uh, as far as the, the makeup of this squad, you can attribute it all to just the timing and the circumstance. And that's fair. But as you know, there are a, there is a faction of US fans who look at a squad like this and, and think, this is the direction the U.S. needs to be moving towards anyway. And isn't it great that we now have enough players playing in the top leagues in Europe to put together a whole squad of them and we don't have to bother with too many MLS players anymore. And so I know MLS folk are kind of sensitive to that. And I thought it was a great question you asked them. You phrased it a little bit provocatively, you know, rabble rouser that you are. But <laughs> the larger point, it is sort of the issue that overhangs this list and all the analysis of it. So I thought it was a very fair question you asked him and his answer was very interesting as well. That was. And, and as will these games be interesting uh, when we see the individual players and how they fit in or maybe they don't fit in. And and also, you know, for this coaching staff to get to know some of these players. I mean, yes, some of them have been involved with the U.S. teams in uh, for the youth national teams. Uh, but until you actually get into that full national team and are, and are living it and breathing it, you don't know. You don't know the, the personalities and what they're like off the field, and if they fit in, or if are they introverts, are they extroverts? What, what you know, what their likes and dislikes are, how they react, uh, and and play nice or don't play nice with others. All of that kind of stuff is important. The dynamics of a team are so important, and they do ultimately manifest in that ninety minutes. And so you got to be really careful, and you got to use every moment that you have at your disposal uh, to uh, to figure that out. But look there is no reason not to be excited and really excited about the talent that the United States uh, can assemble, whether it's the talent uh, that's simply from Europe right now, or then augmented later on uh, with MLS. These are, and, and this is, you know, this is the, the, the crazy thing, Mossy. Three years ago, uh, I'd argue it was the darkest time in American soccer as it relates to the US men's national team, the epic failure of not qualifying for 2018. And yet here we are three years later, and you could argue that this is the most optimistic and bright and exciting time that the United States soccer community has ever felt <laughs> in, uh, in regards to the US men's national team program. It's amazing how how it's how it's changed now once again a lot of it is still on paper and we know that the game is not played on paper so we just hope that we are hedging our bets here and that when it does happen someone like Gio Reyna for the first time that what we are seeing him do from a uh, of a club level does translate and he brings that and is 
as good and impactful on uh, on the U.S. national team because that is what makes us better and gives us the better chance to get to that promised land of winning a winning a World Cup. So I'll be really excited uh, to see both of these games. And as I said, we will be broadcasting those. So uh, we're looking forward uh, to that. Anything more on the U.S. men's national team, Masu? Uh No, that's it. All right, yeah, what's next? On next week's pod, we'll uh, obviously break down both sure. games. Um, next up, at the Smiths, 1986, uh, what was the bigger signing for Spurs, Alex Morgan or Gareth Bale? Well, it's it's Gareth Bale. Um, you know, Sexist. That's not, <laughs> I know, look, it's, and that's not, that's just reality. Okay. That has nothing to do with, uh, uh, you know, the, whether it's a, a male or a female player, it's just the reality of what Gareth Bale, the oxygen that he takes up versus the oxygen that Alex Morgan uh, takes up. Now, both of them took their time getting on the field after the, after the signing, but uh, you know, Alex, I think, uh, stepped on the field this weekend, which was good to see. And we did see Gareth Bale not only step on the field, but uh, uh, but get a goal. But, you know, it, it's this it's this constant question and competition. Uh, I, I, I get it. I get what what people want to do. And, and I get the question that you are asking. But yeah, I mean, it's still it's still Gareth Bale. I mean, look, I am am a huge proponent and and supporter of women's soccer and making it uh, making it better and having opportunities and shining light on the players and the teams and the leagues out there but it still has it still has a long way to go now from a from an american perspective because of what the us women's national team is and what the us women's national team players are I mean, this was this was big news in the American soccer community because of, like I said, how how important our U.S. women's national team is. But if you're talking worldwide, it's still Gareth Bale. Um, so I think I don't think that that's anything surprising uh, right there. If you're just talking about the U.S., I think you could probably make a case for Alex Morgan. What's next, Mossy? Uh and uh, we'll end on this. This is kind of a throwback to the days when Alex Ad would try to pick a fun question to end on. Um, at Sportsbook Tom, biggest flopper you played against are his initials <laughs> LH, which I suspect he's referring to Luis Hernandez there. Uh, is he the biggest flopper you played against? Well, uh, flopper, diver, cheater, whatever. I mean, I know these are all pejoratives that people, that people throw out. Um, Luis Hernandez, I don't look at him. Yeah, I mean, he was very theatrical, but so was someone like Carlos Ruiz. And, you know, I know a, a lot of times it's, you know, there, there are cultural differences in the way that we look at what is or isn't diving. I've always said, and I continue to say, it, it's really never, never bothered me that much. I know it drives some people nuts and they cannot watch the game. And it, it, it's an, it negatively impacts how they see a game when that type of stuff uh, happens. I don't, I look at it, that, that theater and that performance as, as skills, as arts, um, and as something to, to be aware of going forward, uh, on a, in, in any type of game situation that you are doing. But yeah, I mean, Carlos Ruiz was incredible. I mean, it was as if he got shot at times, uh, and numerous roles, not to the, to, to the Neymar level, but 
yeah, I mean, those were, those were some of them. But once again, I, I looked at it as, as an asset. And I know that sometimes makes people, that sometimes that makes people cringe. And as I said before, there are good, what did, what word did he use? Floppers. There are good floppers and there are bad floppers and not all flopping is created equally. And the panache that you use and the, I guess it would be to some, the subterfuge that you use and the way that you use your body and your mouth in terms of uh, the audio part of it, all of that, it is a performance and I can, I can see value um, and appreciate and ultimately yes, respect when that performance is done well. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who the biggest one as a defender, you always feel aggrieved. Um, and in the moment you are angry and you're looking at the referee saying, how can you possibly be buying this? But what I was saying in that moment was that's not a good flop. That's not a good dive. If somebody was really, really good, while it while while it did hurt in the moment, there came a moment very quickly where I could appreciate what that person what that person was done, and it's on me. And I looked at myself and said, I let myself get into that situation, and then that person recognized it and used it to uh, to create an incredible performance. I mean, but in your country, it's uh, when I when I know your country is the U.S. too, but when it when it comes to Brazil, it's still Neymar right now. Is there anybody in the past that is tagged with the the diver flopper type of uh, moniker? Man, not not to the same degree. Yeah, he's taken it to a whole nother level. Then yeah. the only thing uh, the only thing I'll say about Neymar and diving is uh, in the first friendly that uh, Brazil played post twenty eighteen World Cup, they played against the United States. And there was a play in the first half in which DeAndre Yedlin fouled Neymar from behind pretty hard, actually, and then turned to the referee and, and said, did you watch the World Cup? Which is a funny line, given that, that we were just line. coming off a World Cup in which Neymar had, you know, done all this diving. But, you know, I, I still come across every week on Twitter that clip and they just show Yedlin mouthing that to the referee. Ha ha ha. What a funny line. But what gets left out of that story is the fact that he actually did foul Neymar pretty hard in the play. And so it just speaks to the fact that if you're somebody like Neymar, you have to be careful that you get this reputation. And then even instances in which you are fouled, defenders are still going to sort of play on that reputation to try to argue to the referee that you're sure. Sure. But I mean, look, it, I can remember even way back in, in the 94 World Cup, I remember how the way that I approached a player dramatically changed the closer I got to the, the you know, to the area. And I, I vividly remember slowing down and doing that checklist that happens very, very quickly in milliseconds of if this was another 10 yards this way or that way, I would approach it differently. I would make that tackle. And I remember at times saying, Live to fight another day. You don't need to do that. Don't get don't get too close. Don't don't give them the opportunity. Don't give them in, in, if you're really going to look at it. Don't give them the stage and the spotlight to make what they're doing look good. And you know, I think that any good player or defender understands their opponents and understands their their strengths and weaknesses. And if one of them is their ability to get into a situation and then flop, don't put yourself in that situation. I don't know if this qualifies as, as diving or flopping, but I mean, probably the most embarrassing incident involving Brazil, now that you mentioned it, was in the opening, Brazil's opening match of the 2002 World Cup Oh yeah. Uh, against Turkey. There was a player kicked the ball at Rivaldo and it hit him in the knees and he fell to the ground holding his face as if it had hit him in the face. And I remember the, the famous uh, 
hockey analyst. Is it Don Cherry? I think sure. his name is. Uh, I remember him going on this rant about that. And it goes, Rivaldo, more like revolting. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this day and age of, of VAR, I think it's curtailed a lot of this stuff because <laughs> you, you do, speaking of thinking twice, if you know that a play is going to be reviewed and there is going to be video evidence of what you're doing, if, if you're holding a piece of your body that wasn't hit or wasn't even affected that's going to come out very very quickly in the wash anything else mossy that's it all right we're going to take one more quick break and when we come back uh i will give you my one for the road don't go away getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are finishing up the pod as we do each and every time with my one for the road. I had a real pleasure this past week of doing a special bonus edition of the State of the Union podcast where I sat down with four, uh, four young athletes, um, American soccer athletes, athletes that have been involved with the United States Soccer Federation. It is actually a group of five. I sat down with four of them and they call themselves uh, Next Gen United. And the reason that they, uh, that they have come together on this, under this umbrella is to run for uh, positions on the Athlete Council. What is the Athlete Council you say? I know many of you know, but just a refresher, the Athlete Council is a 20 member group that by law, uh, and the law mandates that it, they are given a uh, voice and power in terms of governance over their governing body, which would be the United States Soccer Federation. They wield incredible power because they control 20% of that voice and vote. Uh, and actually next year, by the end of next year, it's going to be 33%. So it's only going to be even more power. And we often have seen this power and it was you know, very, uh, it was on display, uh, the last presidential election for the United States Soccer Federation, in that they are often uh, kingmakers, if you will, uh, with that, uh, with that percentage, and they often vote in block. And so they have that power. Well, within that council, people are running for different positions in that 20 person council right now. And there's five of them. And I really I had the pleasure of speaking to four of them. Uh, Matt Freeze, who's with the Philadelphia Union. Uh, Smith Hunter, who's uh, a, a young woman who is at Harvard. Uh, Mikey Lopez, uh, with USL with Birmingham Legion. Uh, Nick Mayhew, who is with the US Paralympic team. Uh, and uh, Brianna Pinto, who's at uh, UNC. Now, all of these uh, five have participated, as I said, at different levels of national teams for the United States Soccer Federation, and they all qualify. And there's a voting process, and athletes qualify to vote for these positions. Uh, I, I wanted to talk to them for a number of different reasons. First and foremost, because it's interesting, and I am uh, I'm gratified and pleased when I see young American soccer people that want to pick up an oar, that want to do something off the field to better the game that we all know and love. That, that doesn't happen a lot. And 
when that happens, I do want to promote it and give them an opportunity and a platform. The other part of it is, uh, and I mentioned this on the uh, the special broad uh, the special podcast that we did with them, is that in the past I have looked at uh, the possibility of running for. Uh, positions when it comes to the United States Soccer Federation. And I am in the process of, of possibly considering to run for the uh, vice president position for the United States Soccer Federation. Uh, for those that don't know, there is an election coming in February for both the presidency and the vice presidency. Now, these are uh, volunteer, non-paid positions and uh, the vice presidency is open right now. The presidency is held uh, right now by Cindy Cohn and those will happen. And this athlete council will have a hand as they always do in selecting uh, those positions. I haven't decided uh, what I'm gonna do. Um, ultimately, as I said, this is, this is something um, that has nothing to do with, with, with my current job. I would continue to work at Fox uh, if I were to ever do something like that, because I love what I do and I don't want to stop what I'm doing. It would just be an opportunity for me uh, to be involved. And like I said, to pick up an oar and uh, to do some things for the game that I love, uh, that has given me that has given me so much. And for the United States Soccer Federation, which I think has a real role to play and um, at times does it well and at times uh, doesn't do it well. But it was really interesting to talk to these young athletes about the way that they see this game. And look, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I have seen all sorts of stuff on and off the field in that, in that 50 years. And I've been involved in soccer for many of those 50 years. And I've seen the good, bad, and ugly. And a lot of it is predominantly uh, good. And a lot of that good rests in the incredible people that we have uh, in the game. And for people like uh, this group to step up. Now, they may or may not be elected, but this whole process for them, I think, will be beneficial and they will learn things, they will meet different people, and they will be exposed to things that are important about their game. The game isn't just about kicking the ball. And by the way, the game isn't just about the national teams. I know we focus on national teams, men's uh, and women's, and, and we talk so much about that. But U.S. soccer, and I'm saying U.S. soccer with, with, without the capitals, uh, of U.S. soccer is so much more. U.S. soccer as the United States Soccer Federation is also so much, uh, so much more. And so anyway, it warms the cockles of my redheaded heart when I see people and especially young people that want to get involved like this. And so that's the reason why, uh, why, that, why I did it. I urge you to go and check it out. You can first off find out about them on nextgenunited.org, but you can also find out about the Athlete Council that, as I said, is going through this election right now, and everybody that is running uh, right now, either play, either uh, athletes that have been on this council that want to continue to do so, uh, or other ones that aren't involved uh, in this uh, Next Gen United. And uh, they're going to have to sell themselves and ultimately get the votes in order to be there. And when they do, then they will be in positions of power, and they will have that type of leverage to hopefully do some good things and to push our sport as it relates to the United States Soccer Federation in a more positive direction uh, going, uh, going forward. And so I wish all of them well, um, not just in the election, but going forward, because as I told them, this isn't just about leaders in soccer. This is ultimately about making leaders that are going to lead our country. I say each and every time, I still believe that uh, I am incredibly privileged to be uh, part of the greatest country in the world here in the United States, but we need 
leadership and we need leaders. And while we focus so much on making better soccer players, ultimately what we're doing is also making better leaders for, uh, for our country. And the ones that wanna step up and the ones that want to lead and want to learn and want to be exposed to things that have nothing necessarily directly related to them kicking the ball on the field, um, those are the ones that are not only gonna lead us into a better soccer uh, situation, but also a better country situation. And that's a good thing. So uh, give them a little bit of your time if, uh, if you do have, uh, have that and find out a little bit about uh, the United States um, or the Athlete Council and uh, the effect and the power uh, that, that it has, because that voice for the athletes is important as mandated by law. And it is important in terms of shaping what's going to happen with the future of soccer in this country, which we all want to be successful uh, and and to grow. Mossy, anything before we uh, head off into the uh, great unknown here? That is it. All right. Thank you so much for, as always, downloading and reviewing and subscribing and doing all of those different things uh, out there. It uh, it means so much to us that you uh, spend a little bit of time each week, uh, we, each week with us talking about this, uh, this beautiful game. Uh, we will talk to you again at the same time next week. And until then, size the day. 